That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I'll give you a minute to turn there. The text reads like this. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not, be even, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would inform our minds and that you would warm our souls and that you would equip our hands by your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few Sundays ago now, I was enjoying lunch with the family when uh, both our girls became hypnotized. Hypnotized by the melody from an ice cream van. Emmy, our youngest, got down from the table, I assumed at the time, to, to use the bathroom. But it was then uh, that our dog, Charles Haddon Willis, uh, started barking. And he wouldn't stop barking. And so after a, a few minutes, I got down from the, the table to see what was going on with Emmy and to see what our dog was was barking about, but there was no sign of Emmy, just an open front door. And so I put my shoes on, I, I walked outside of our house, and I looked all the way to the end of our street to see Emmy, our youngest, at the back of the queue for ice cream. Uh, she didn't have any money, she's five. Now, I thought it was funny uh, in the moment, but then it, it dawned on me, it struck me how dangerous that that was. She had walked past drive after drive after drive as one who is too short to be seen in a, in a rear view mirror. And you see, because she's my child, how and where she walks really matters to me. Well, we continue our, our series in Ephesians today, and for the third passage in a row, the Apostle Paul makes the same point. Match your walk with your wardrobe. We remember, don't we, that Paul has been comparing the new self that we received when we became Christians to a new set of clothes. 
Remember he said, when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you put off your old self like a a vermin-infested garment and you put on a new self, a new identity, like made in the image of God, created in righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Paul has been exhorting us, match your walk, that is your conduct, your behavior, with your wardrobe, that is your new self, your new identity, that if you've been clothed with righteousness, then walk in righteousness. And that if you've been clothed in holiness, then be holy in all of your conduct, because that is who you now are. And Paul tells us today that we are to walk as God's beloved children. Because as Christians, that's who we now are. That's who we now are. That's our new self. That's our new identity. That's our new set of clothes. We we used to be children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But now we are God's beloved children. And so he says, when God looks at us, that is, he, he looks at us and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And therefore, as his children, we are to walk as such. Our conduct is to correspond with our new selves. And so Paul tells us how we're to walk as God's beloved children. But if you're here today and perhaps you're, you're not a Christian, please understand this, that before you can embody the lifestyle that Paul commends here in these verses, you need new life from Jesus himself. You must be born again. You must be made new in the deepest part of who you are. You must be made a new creation, the old gone and the new come. And that happens through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance when we turn from sin and faith when we trust in all who God is for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jesus lived for us, he died for us, he rose for us personally. And for those of us who has, who are now God's beloved children, how are we to walk? Well, we're to walk first Number one, walk in love. We are to walk in love. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes there, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I said last Sunday morning that the word love is one of the most misused words in the English language today. We, we slap it on anything from products to people. And therefore, since the word love has been diluted and, and gutted, really, of all meaning, we might assume here that Paul is commending nothing more than nicety to us. But notice what Paul tethers our walk of love to there in in verse 2. Walk in love 
as Christ loved us. That's a tall order. That's a high calling. Because Jesus loved us to death. Jesus loved us by meeting our greatest need at infinite cost to the glory of God. That's how Jesus loved us. He loved us by meeting our greatest need at infinite cost to the glory of God. And Ephesians has made it abundantly clear just how needy we were before God in Christ came to our rescue. Let me just read to you every description of our old lives, our old selves that the book of Ephesians has given to us thus far. We were, according to the book of Ephesians, dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were far off and we walked in the futility of our minds. We were darkened in our understanding. We were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in us due to the hardness of our hearts. We had become careless and had given ourselves up to sensuality. We were greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But Christ... Because of the great love with which he loved us, said to his father, Father, give to me the mountain of their transgressions and sins. I will take them all into my heart and let their treachery be counted as mine. Give to me their cross and ground me to powder under the weight of your justice. Put all of my bones out of joint and pour your wrath like molten lava onto me. Throw your judgment at my brow like meteors from heaven and serve to me the cup of your wrath poured full strength. I will drink it, drink it down to the very dregs. And have my blood cover the multitude of their sins that all the ransomed church of God might be saved to sin no more. Saved from sin, saved from death, saved from hell, saved from your judgment forever. Father, transform these sons and these daughters of disobedience into beloved children of God. And pour out the fullness of your favor into their hearts and into their minds. And let it never leave them, nor forsake them. And when Christ accomplished that mission of love at the cross of Calvary, God smelt the sacrifice of Christ and he loved it. He loved it. 
And that is how Jesus loved us. He met our greatest need at infinite cost to the glory of God the Father. And therefore, as those with God as Father and Jesus as elder brother, it is now our turn to go and to do likewise. No, friends, we, we cannot atone for one another's sins. Only the sinless can atone for the sinful, and it is our boast that he has. But what we can do is meet one another's needs, inconveniencing ourselves to the glory and praise of God. We can, we can visit Carson in Grange Nursing Home in Heswell in Room 9. Uh, we can go and visit Peter Tyson in St. George's Nursing Home in Wallasey. We can say to Irene and to May and to, to Jenny P and to, to Margaret Foster, you lot do the teas and coffees every single Sunday. Sit down, let us, let us help you and let us serve you as well. We can, we can take an interest in those whom we wouldn't naturally gravitate toward in the church and we can get to know them well enough in order for us to know how we can meet their needs and we can be on our knees for one another in prayer and we can give to the poor and we can encourage the discouraged why because our big brother Jesus did that for us and more and that's when our walk will match our wardrobe as beloved children of God and so as God's beloved children we're to walk in love, but we're also to, to flee from sin. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul writes there, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, it is likely that the reason the Apostle Paul zeroes in on these particular sins here is because these were the sins that the folk there in the church in Ephesus used to walk in before they were converted. They probably had walked in sexual immorality. One of the commentators says that this was a, a high and holy standard to demand for immorality was rife in Asia. And since the Greek goddess Artemis, Diana of the Ephesians, was regarded as a fertility goddess, sexual orgies were regularly, and, uh, regularly associated with her worship. And they probably had been impure, verse 3. In fact, Paul said in the last chapter, I remember that they have been greedy to practice every form of impurity. And they have probably been covetousness. In, in the context there, in verse 3, that probably refers to the coveting of another man's um, wife in direct violation to the 10th commandment. And there probably have been filthiness in their lives, foolish talk in their mouths, and crude joking 
in their conversations. But Paul says here, since you are no longer who you once were, your behavior cannot be as it once was. You are now the beloved children of a thrice holy God. Therefore, resemble him, take after him in all of your conduct. That's who you now are. In fact, the sins that you used to walk in, they can't even be named among you, never mind practiced by you. Why? Because those practices are are out of place among God's beloved children. And yet Paul still had to insist on this, didn't he, here in Ephesians chapter 5. Why? Well, because I said a few weeks ago, even though we've been saved from the power of sin, we have not yet been saved from the presence of sin. And when I say the presence of sin, I don't only mean the presence of sin out there, but instead the presence of sin in here as well. Because we are all prone to wander. We are all prone to leave the God that we love. Our feet still have that that muscle memory within them that remembers how they used to walk in defiance and in rebellion as sons and daughters of disobedience. And therefore, friends, the call in our lives is to remind ourselves every day who we now are. That we would say to ourselves, I am a beloved child of God, and therefore I will not walk as a son, as a daughter of disobedience. That is no longer who I am. Because as we all know, behavior flows from identity. And so very practically, can I, can I remind us of, of some of the words that perhaps we used to sing as, as children in, in Sunday school? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what I see. That if sexual immorality, impurity, coveting of another person's spouse, if filthiness, crude joking must not even be named among us, let us then be careful what we see because what passes through the eye captivates the mind. And what captivates the mind influences the heart. And what influences the heart directs our feet. There are some of you in this room who, who, are, who are looking at pornography and maybe you've even prayed, God, deliver me from this struggle. And yet it has never crossed your mind that the films you watch, the, social, the, the, the Netflix series you binge, the social media platforms that you visit, are feeding that desire within you. And therefore, the word of application to you is obvious. Flee from anything that develops and promotes that hunger within you. Cut it off and put it to death in your life. Do you know how Eskimos sometimes hunt wolves? They, uh, they take a, a blade and they, they cover it in a layer of blood. And they freeze it, take it out the freezer the next day, cover it in another layer of blood. Put it back in the freezer, take it out the next day, cover it in another 
layer of blood until there's a thick layer covering the blade. And then they'll plant it in the snow with the blade facing upward. A wolf will smell the the scent. It will come and begin to lick at the blood. They love the taste of blood. And so they they lick at it uh, until eventually they slash their own tongue. And because their own blood is warm, they're comforted by that. And so they keep going until they slash themselves to death. That is what sin is doing to your soul. And therefore, flee from all known sin in your life because the wages of sin is death. But notice that Paul doesn't just tell us what to flee from. Paul tells us what we're to flee to. He says we're to flee to thanksgiving. End of verse 4, let there be thanksgiving. Now, if we'd written these verses ourselves, we would have written, let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity, no filthiness, no coarse joking, no crude conversations. Rather, let there be purity. I mean, that that fits better, doesn't it? Let there be holiness in contrast to everything we've just been talking about. So why, why thanksgiving? Well, it's likely that Paul is saying in context here, in place of your former perverse sexual lives in thought, word, and deed, now let there be thanksgiving for sex as God intended it. As God intended it for the real thing. Because sex the way that God intended it is in fact a gift. Marriages are made strong, and when marriages are made strong, families are made strong, and when families are made strong, churches are made strong, and when churches are made strong, societies are made strong. It is the misuse of the gift, not the gift itself, that is the problem. The gift itself is worthy of thanksgiving, Paul says. Take two examples of the misuse of the gift. And then let's ask ourselves if we can give thanks for those. One from the the so-called church and one in the world. So in the so-called church, you've got the the Roman Catholic church that enforced celibacy for clergy. And what has been the fruit of that all around the world? Well, child abuse has been the fruit of that. Or, or, Or you think about on the opposite side of the spectrum in the world, consensual promiscuity. And and what has been the fruit of that? Well, houses strewn throughout our nation without fathers. And streets lined with the blood of unborn children. And disease. And a feeling of utter worthlessness among those who are promiscuous. Can we give thanks to God for that? Well, obviously, no, we can't. And therefore, here in Ephesians 5, it's not flee from sexual immorality, next paragraph. It's flee from the misuse of the gift. Thank God for the gift as God gave it and intended it. And maybe you're here today and this list of immorality and unholiness of life is is really a description of your life 
right now in, in the present. And perhaps when at first you, you threw yourself into it, you'd never felt more free. And yet you're here today as one who has never felt more hopeless, never felt more worthless. And you're asking yourself, is there any freedom? Is there any hope at all for me? Friend, run to Jesus. He is the chain breaker. He is the shame eraser. He's the sin forgiver. He's the slate washer. And he can make all things new in your life. And he can forgive you from the inside out and change you altogether. He died for sinners. And God saves to the uttermost those who draw near to him. Draw near to God through him. And so to walk as beloved children, we're to walk in love, we're to flee from sin. And lastly, we're to walk in fear. Look at verses five and six. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Godly fear is a friend, not an enemy on the road to heaven. Godly fear is a friend, not an enemy, on the road to heaven. It's a help, not a hindrance. And the reality is that Paul probably wrote this, these words here, this warning here, because the Ephesian church were hearing what we hear today all of the time. God is a God of grace. All of our sins have been forgiven. And therefore, God will understand if you embrace a sexual lifestyle that the Bible wholly and squarely condemns. I heard that only two days ago from the head of, of the Baptist Union. He, he said in an interview, I've always known what the Bible says about homosexuality, but it's never made any sense to me at all. And so I think it's time for us to accept that that's just one of the nutty things that the Bible says. Friend, the hiss of the serpent is behind those words. Because the hiss of the serpent is the same lie in every generation. You shall not surely die. But God says, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. Do not buy what the devil is selling and do not buy what the devil's friends in the Baptist Union or in any denomination or in any free church have to say. They are liars and they are in league with him. Now friends, every pastor in the world knows that when the Bible threatens like this, 
the most godly people in the room are the most fearful. And the most carnal, the most fruitless professing believers sit there in perfect peace like drunkards on a sinking ship. And therefore to you godly, to you true believers who are perhaps overcome right now with a sense of fear in view of the judgment to come, in view of past sin in your life or sin that you're seeking to put to death in the present. Allow me to tell you what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not saying here that you're going to hell if an inappropriate thought ever glides into your mind or if there has been immorality in your past that you've since repented of and that you're seeking to put to death every day, whether that's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin or whatever it is for you. He's not saying that if ever an impure thought has or an impure motive has influenced a decision in your life, then you're lost. He's not saying that. And we can know he's not saying that because in verse 5, Paul describes sexually immoral or impure or covetous people, not deeds. Do you get the difference? In verse 5, Paul is describing people whose lives are characterized by those things. He's not describing deeds that people are seeking to put to death. There is a world of difference between those two things. But what Paul is saying is this, as God's beloved children, we are to walk to heaven with our eyes wide open. We are to look beyond the accepted sins of our age to the smoke of their torment that will rise up forever and ever. And we are to attune our ears to the shrieks of the damned. And we are to let hell's incinerating fire torch our faces a little bit as we walk to heaven that we would never minimize sin or never excuse our own hypocrisy and that we would never excuse or justify the sin in our own lives so that when we do sin, we own our sin and we repent of it, knowing that when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And friends, very practically, can I commend to you the practice of daily confession. Confessing all known and unknown sin every day, it is so life-giving. It is so refreshing to the soul. What did Jesus say when he told us to pray? Pray then like this. Father, forgive us, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And therefore, don't wait for there to be some scandalous, giant sin. But instead, keep close accounts with God and confess sin every day. But to the carnal among us, who are like those drunken men who sit comfortably on a sinking ship, who say to themselves, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness 
of my heart. Friend, you have been deceived by empty words. And the hiss of the serpent has passed through your ears, into your mind, and into your heart. Because God says there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And therefore the choice before you today is for you to remain as a son, as a daughter of disobedience or to become a beloved child of God through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Think about it, friend. Which sounds like the better of the two options? Because if you will walk in the stubbornness of your own heart, then the wrath of God will come upon you. But if by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the love of God will come upon you and it will be poured into your heart and it will never leave you or forsake you. And therefore, if identity dictates destiny, who are you going to be? A son of disobedience or a beloved child of God? Friend, turn to Christ and live in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for us and then we're going to respond in, in a hymn of praise together. Let's take a moment and pray.